Hi there. Welcome to the Health Analytic Insights Podcast. This podcast is all about creating a community of like-minded individuals who are passionate about the field of health informatics. I hope to share information and advice in topics such as health analytics, digital health, biomedical engineering, and data visualization in healthcare. And in exchange, I would love to hear from you, dear listener, about your experience and interest in this field. You can drop me a line at healthanalyticinsights at gmail.com. And this email, along with any references discussed during this podcast, will be listed in the show notes below. If this resonates with you, don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast, as I'll be releasing new episodes bi-weekly. So on this episode of the Health Analytic Insights podcast, I have the honor of interviewing Ron Valeno, who is an active advocate for dementia, caregiving, aging, and research communities. So thank you so much, Ron, for being on this episode of the podcast. And for my first question, I was wondering if you can tell us a bit about your background and experience as a caregiver and how technology has impacted your worldview. Well, thanks, Alana, for having me today. And I'm looking forward to to, uh, chatting with your community here. As for myself, I live in Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I was a caregiver to my father that had Alzheimer's, which falls under the dementia umbrella there. Uh, My dad uh, and my mom lives uh, not too far from me, or my dad did live, uh, my dad has passed, and uh, they live about maybe 20, 30 minutes away from me. And being an only child, I was, I chose, you know, this is a conscious effort to, to care as best as I could for my father during the period that he was living with dementia. So for my dad, he was uh, diagnosed back in 2007, and he peacefully passed away at home in 2018. So we were uh, dealing with this diagnosis for over 10 plus years. That was uh, part of his life uh, near the end of his life. Uh, and uh, one of my goals was to try and do my best uh, with the support of the community, with friends, with neighbors, with family, to keep my dad at home as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, he passed away in 2018 peacefully in his sleep. That's not rare. Or that's a little bit rare for someone with dementia. Many times they may eventually end up in a long-term care just because there's so many challenges to care for them, or they might be passing away in the hospital due to uh, some complications in their health. For him, uh, it was one of those, you know, dream scenarios that many of us might hope for. He just passed away in his sleep. Mm -hmm. So, but it was challenging. So I do a lot of work around this space around how do you care for someone at home in the community as best as possible and technology and all this cool stuff kind of are part of what I talk about uh, a fair bit. Um, and so how important do you feel patient advisory groups are when it comes to driving health tech innovation in hospitals and other clinical organizations? So I'm quite involved with patient engagement and uh, shared decision making. The ability for the voice of the patient, specifically the patient and their caregiver to be at the table, to have a say. It's, it's their lives. Yeah, In the end, it comes back to their lives. And sometimes we forget this in the healthcare system, that people are focused on their job, their work, their discipline of what they're doing. And in the end, all of this has to channel back down to that patient okay, and that, the caregiver. So when I say the term patient in, in this conversation, uh, and if, you know, I don't say the word caregiver, they, they go hand in hand, in my opinion. Okay? Mm-hmm. It it's, it's, uh, could be one or both. And 
you have to have their voice, okay? Uh, and I believe there's a shift around this. Um, many healthcare systems already, and Canada's really good at this, in all honesty, as much as I kind of said, yeah, you know, you have to have that. Canada community at, in many areas, from research to healthcare, uh, are having patient and family advisory councils in the research community. They are not just waiting to get some advisory from, from the patient and family halfway in the research. They're actually having them sit you know, mm-hmm. on their advisory, you know, as an actually equal partner, okay, at the very beginning, and de- even designing the research as well. So that is kind of key. Some of the, the audience, I believe you have, Alana, you know, are, are very technical mindset. I, I, I come from that mindset as well. You know, steps, step number one, up to step number 10, mm-hmm. right? And I always kind of joke with people, I said, it's why do you bring, in the past, why would you bring someone in, you know, who you're really, you know, doing this work for at step number seven, eight, or nine. And they're going to say, oh, back at step number one or two, you could have done this, mm-hmm. right? So that that's why it's quite important to have them at the table. I would always suggest have more than, you know, one, you know, get don't always trust one person. You know, don't just have Ron at the table, have Ron plus maybe two others with different perspectives. But it is quite important. Canada's doing great in that space. And one thing I do need to share is that you know, the communication is where we sometimes have that gap from all sides, okay, is that from the patient and the caregiver, we usually and always, for the most part, start with the story, okay, we communicate through story. If we didn't have the the story, okay, if we weren't having our challenges around health and, and living, then it's something that, where would we learn ourselves? What's our experience around it? So usually we start with a story and it's a personal story. Mm-hmm. And it's a question of how do you translate that story okay, to the data, the golden nuggets, that information that the health team or the research team requires to do their job better. So exactly. uh, that's where we all have to work better together. And mm-hmm. uh, But you have to have them at the table first. So that's Absolutely. why I encourage patient engagement from the very beginning. And that's definitely been a, a thread in, I had an interview um, prior talking about user experience design in healthcare. And you can't just build any techno- technological project, just have this idea, build it and they will come. No, you have to really have people at the beginning, understanding their pain points, having conversations with people, and really getting to the heart of what their issue is. You can't just make assumptions. And exactly. um, yeah, one of the, the great things, experiences that I had working at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation in Toronto that every all the research that we did in my co-op position was always patient-centered focus. So it was always, you know, an issue that a patient had, and then you build from there. One of the really cool projects that I wasn't involved with, but I saw was, you know, an interactive patient waiting room. So a lot of patients, you know, they can be worried about their upcoming appointments, especially if they're children. So, you know, designing this interactive waiting room that can kind of take them away from their issues for a second and just, you know, focus on play. I think it's just an example of a lot of the amazing work that, you know, hospitals in Canada are doing. So I definitely do see that in Canada, there's a lot of uh, patient-centered focused research. And yeah, I hope it definitely continues, but you're definitely right in terms of need to communicate. Yeah. And and the key word, so so for many, you kind of said it there, Alana, is patient-centered. Okay. Mm -hmm. That piece is, you know, there's been different schematics and diagrams of the healthcare system. You know, here's the hospital in the middle and here's the outside services, for example, the better models, in my opinion, is not that being centered. It's the patient being centered in the model and everything around the patient is what we have to deliver and bring towards. But 
sometimes depending where, uh, and again, as I said, Canada's great at it. Can we get better? Yes. But that concept of in some areas, it's still not the patient centered. It's around, you know, the healthcare system first or the hospital first. And I get it. It's just one of those in the end, you know, you remove the patient, you remove the caregiver. Really, there's no work for all of you if they're not part of this picture. Okay. Right. They have to, they're always there. They're, they're mm-hmm. the key piece. So mm-hmm. that, that comment you said, patient centered focus or patient-centered care, patient-centered whatever, okay, services, patient-centered is a key piece. So yeah, great. Yeah, I think that just having diverse perspectives are so important. Sometimes, you know, you can be so in the weeds that you can't see different perspectives. And I think that having patients, giving their perspective can really breed a lot of creativity and and breed a lot of solutions um, to issues that people might have. So I think, as you're saying, yeah, really having that patient in the center to whatever you're doing is definitely uh, the ideal situation. Yeah. So Elena, just one thing there. So one thing that I, I've been working on with a team, I know your audience, you know, here on a podcast could be worldwide, okay? uh, but here in Ontario, Ontario has a model, a healthcare model that's kind of shifted in the past few years called the Ontario Health Teams, right? So they're kind of putting focus on the community that the more local. So uh, a health team uh, Ontario is quite big, uh, our largest province uh, with population there. And to create a healthcare system that's standard across Ontario for someone that is in a very urban environment like Toronto versus a rural community isn't the same thing. So mm-hmm. this whole term around Ontario health teams of getting a little bit more center focus on the community, okay, on that specific health team in that community has been changing. And, and I'm a supporter of that model. But to go even further, okay, as you keep digging down, doing a deeper dive, well, now you're in the community and you keep going deeper into the specific organizations and agencies, and even deeper down to eventually the patient, back to the patient. Okay? Mm-hmm. There's this thing called GAS, so G-A-S, okay? and it's uh, like goal, um, was it goal attainment scaling. And because I do a lot of work around aging and older adults, uh, some work around frailty, some work around in that space, you know, there's, there's, you know, a couple uh, individuals there like Dr. Kenneth Rockwood and Dr. Paul Stoley um, and a few others that have done work around uh, this thing about goal attainment uh, scaling, which is how you assess based on the patient's goals, okay, you know, versus the community, you know, like the healthcare's goals. Directly. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that, again, you know, you can't have that unless you have that patient at the table. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I love the model where it starts with the patient always. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm going to throw in here and you, you can tell I enjoy chatting here. It, this is not just healthcare. This is even for the designers there. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I have spoken to, uh, again, coming with a little bit of an engineering technical background myself. I have spoken at your previous university there in uh, Ottawa, I believe, uh, right? University of Ottawa, Carleton. Uh, right, Carleton. So I've spoken to a biomed class one, one year. And uh <laughs> Dr. Bruce Wallace, he he brought me in. Oh, okay. So, so, well, yeah. So, Dr. Bruce Wallace, uh, that's another conversation uh, I advise with uh, a sensors, Sam, the sensors and analytics. Uh, forgetting about the M, there's so many acronyms in this world uh, over there at Breer Hospital. Uh, but he, um, and they do stuff around aging and sensors in the home, but he did invite me to one of his classes. And, you know, I, I know it's sometimes difficult for the engineering community, and I come from that space as well a bit to kind of wrap their concept going from the technical and designing and all that to 
the individual that they're serving for that sometimes they forget that. Okay. So I, my quick little story is that, yeah, I was judging a hackathon one time here in Toronto, uh, 500 competitors. They were like about in teams of maybe five to eight per team. And one team that had all engineers did not ask the whole weekend. It's over three days feedback from me as one of the advisors or any advisor until the very last day when it was like two hours before judge, judging. And they said, <laughs> what do you think of this, Ron? I said, oh, it's, yeah, okay, you created this whole app to to help someone with dementia, okay, with the grocery list. And there's these buttons, that's cool. But then I said, you know, a piece of paper with a checklist of 10 lines works just the same, mm-hmm. okay? And they kind of looked at me and they said, yeah, but this is cool and has these buttons and that. I said, yeah, but in the end, still a piece of paper can do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of challenged them as I'm saying, you know, it would have been nice if you had me like on day one. Mm-hmm. And I could have kind of guided you in some other way. So that's just something as an example that this goes at all levels, mm-hmm. you know, not just healthcare, but also in design and engineering. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for that insight. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question is, since we kind of um, delved into it, can you talk a bit more about what age tech is and how has age tech helped with the concept of aging in place for seniors? And where do you see room for improvements in this field? So age tech, uh, we'll start with the, the second half of that, that word there, or uh, tech, you know, it's technology. Okay? And for me, I always try to simplify because technology for a community, for many, it's a sexy word. It, they get excited. They said, cool, it's, it's something neat. Okay? And then there are those that, you know, I've done presentations to many communities, especially caregivers and older adults and those living with dementia. And some of them, it, it happens to be a talk on technology, technology that can help you in your life that when I'm presenting, some of them right away, they says, oh, how do, I'm just here because, you know, my wife brought me here and I'm really not into tech. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. really interested in this. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, you don't have to be, right? I'm not here to tell people, you know, that you have to have technology. Okay? But I actually tell them, re- reframe it and don't look at the word technology. It's simply a tool. Okay? Right, it's right. just a tool to accomplish something or to go to overcome a challenge, a barrier. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's when I hear the term tech, I always say you could just simply replace it with tool. Okay. Mm-hmm. And technology could be low tech. It doesn't have to be something that needs to be plugged in. Okay. Wire. A bat it needs batteries that it has lights and buttons. Okay. To me, the plumbing system is technology at one point. That's just like the internet to me. It delivers things and gets rid of things or goes back and forth. So that's a tech piece. Age just happens to be the audience that we're, we're dealing with, okay? And age doesn't mean old necessarily, okay? Although most will gravitate towards that. Age is simply aging, okay? As we age, what tools, okay, or what technologies can we bring to the table to help us age better, okay? Mm-hmm. And that could be aging for that individual that might be having challenges in their lives. It doesn't have to be something as challenging as someone living with dementia, it could be just someone that's aging and right now they they have difficulty getting to the grocery store because of maybe mobility issues, okay? That aging, the challenges here in Canada when it's winter, okay? Again, simply getting your groceries, okay? Well, there's some technologies that we could call them tech or tools. You know, you could have food delivered now, okay? Which was there before, but it's better now. You could use a, a your, you know, your smartphone, okay, to place these orders. We could have, in some places, you could have, in rural communities, you could have 
maybe a drone deliver your 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 uh, you know your supplies, things like that. So that's what age tech is in its definition: is any tool that can help someone as they age or their care team. Okay, so this could be the caregiver helping the caregiver as well. So that's what age tech is. Um, and the second half of that question, Alana, I was spending so much time talking. What was that again there? Oh, no worries. Um, the second half was, um, how does age tech basically help with the concept of aging in place? Ah, okay. So related to aging in place. So I gave a few examples, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, the aging in place. And especially now at the time of this discussion we're having, we are dealing with, with the, the pandemic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, it is ugly. It's going to hurt a lot of people. There's a lot of pain that's going to be happening in many people's lives. Okay. So that I need to acknowledge. Okay. Then there's the other side. I, I'm always that one that's okay. Well, even in the ugly times, where can we find, you know, those, those opportunities, okay. Those pockets, uh, those windows of opportunities. And it's also known in policy when you're changing policy, like, okay, the, the opportunities are there now that a spotlight has been shown in how we live at home. Okay. Mm-hmm. And especially in aging, the challenges of how people age and how we need to support that even better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Many that would not have experienced this or know about this without the pandemic are now discovering what it means. Okay. I have to be at home. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm challenged of being at home, to, you know, and I'm living and aging at home now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't get out or I can't, uh, we can't do these things. Our choices are limited. Okay. The choices are there, but many of our fo- are following you know, the guidelines, you know, what's out there, you know, uh, to stay at home, but then that limits us from socializing, things like that. So how age tech can help, you know, there are many challenge sets that it could cover. Um, I can't go through all of them right now, but for example, one group I'm with is a group in Canada called Age Well. Okay. So people will look up Age Well. It's a, it's Canada's aging and technology network, which consists of researchers, uh, the academia community, uh, heavy on that, uh, that's doing, you know, data, health informatics, all that fun stuff that you love uh, mm-hmm. around aging. But then it also consists of us, the caregivers and the older adults. Okay. Uh, I chair the, the caregiver and older adult, the advisory committee across Canada on that. So we have that voice. We have innovators. Okay. Mm-hmm. That are designing. Okay. For this, you know, as much as we get all the research, that's great. But if it doesn't get into the hands of, of, you know, the patients and, and their families there, it's of no use. So that's one piece, the innovators. Uh, we have policy uh, leaders on that, okay? Um, on the East Coast is where their lead policy hub is uh, called APTA. So all that together, okay, if we can get some of these technologies into someone's home, okay, into their lives or the policy can change, then you have a higher chance of succeeding, okay? And with that, uh, coming back to age well, if someone were to look up age well, look up the eight challenge sets that age well has, um, you know, because the, the, the one thing is we kind of broke it down into challenge sets. And with these challenge sets, they actually focus on the areas that many might be dealing with. Uh, for example, we're dealing with mobility and transportation. I already spoke about that. Staying connected, cognitive health and dementia, autonomy and independence. Those are just a few. And that is just something where there's so many challenges and what are the tools that can help us overcome them? Age tech is not again the solution for everybody, but it is one tool that can help improve people's lives. The one that I like to look for is quality of life. Does it support quality of life? Absolutely. Okay. 
So, th- so that's, yeah. So that's my thoughts around age tech and how it can help in the home. Yeah. I could go over like thousands of examples, but yeah, I, we won't have time for that today. And I like what you said about how you highlighted how the pandemic, I think the pandemic also really highlighted some health technology aspects. So like you see the adoption of telehealth, you know, how does that impact seniors in terms of allowing them to stay at home and the ability to get um, groceries delivered straight to you. And even some of the changes that we made to our society. So allowing seniors, you know, to get groceries early on and things like that. You hope that some of these um, health technology things can kind of stay in place and have a positive impact. But yeah, we'll definitely have to see moving forward how the pandemic has uh, really changed a lot of technology and healthcare and how that's uh, made an impact. Um, I also like what you talked about um, how AgeWell has kind of divided up into those eight different layers because I think that there's so many things as you're talking about like cognitive issues I think that there's a lot of cool apps out there that can help you know build up that can kind of gamify certain things and allow you to build up um, your cognitive skills I think there's a piece of the caregivers caregivers can be you know exhausted and I think it's important to add them into the conversation but I think yeah there's so many different layers that I think technology can help when it comes to seniors and aging in place. So so to add to that, you actually, a side little note, you said one keyword that I love is gamify. I actually, could, that's another uh, mm-hmm. podcast that one day we could talk about. I, I podcast the game of care uh, and dementia. So it's kind of divide and conquer uh, the, the how, uh, again, I'm wearing the hat of a caregiver many times, you know, or coming from that voice and I talk about how can we become a better calculating caregiver? Okay, you know, so there's, there's this chess game that I've used as an example of how you care, um, which moves do we make for the better results. But coming back to, yeah, the, the age tech conversation, the, the, the one thing that when I look at age tech, you know, some of these solutions are not fancy, right? It, it's just using the tools and, and like years, even before the pandemic, I was already doing this five years ago. I was doing this thing called teledining. Okay. You know, teledining meaning just getting on this thing called Skype. Okay. Still out there, you know, but most people aren't using Skype. Well, you know, they're using the, you know, some of the more common platforms now, like Zoom and uh, whatever's out, you know, there's a whole list there. But the uh, back then, uh, I was using that to have meals with friends, those living with dementia that weren't in my community. Okay. Uh, and that could be just once a month. But I would, it's, it's not about the technology. It's like once you figure it out, it's like, okay, now how do I make this more impactful? Well, I would have a friend in Welland, Ontario, okay? Uh, and we would just get our meal together and I would sometimes bring in a researcher, okay? Not necessarily to do research, but just to have a meal together. You know, I love this term breaking bread. That's what I use as my hashtag for a bit. But what happens is that the technology is forgotten. And that's something to the audience I want them to understand is that great technology, in my opinion, once you figure it out, how to utilize it, that tool, you forget about it, okay? that it's quite simple. And it's really what's that impact that's happening. It's allowing that communication, that ability to smile, to, to, to laugh, to, to cry if need be. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's just one piece. And again, I use it as well as an example of back then. It's popular now. People have figured it out because the pandemic has pushed it faster. People have to figure out how do I use remote care? But again, this for me was like five to eight years ago, starting this for myself, uh, is that for my dad, when he would be at home and my mom would be stressed, you know, because of some of the care she was providing, 
I would say, mom, you have a rest. I will care for dad remotely by having a meal with him online or checking up with, with him using some sensors and cameras in the home. So some technologies. Okay. Mm-hmm. For those listening, some might get scared when they say you have a camera in your dad's home. That's a conversation that we can talk about ethics, privacy, you know, all the conversations, all the scary stuff about technology has to be discussed, but the return was higher to have those things. So having my dad be safe still and still have a quality of life by having someone remote care for him while my mom could have her sleep, mm-hmm. could get respite, could do whatever she needs to do. That's my way of spreading the stress. Okay. And that is something I talk a lot about when it comes to care okay, and aging. When you can spread the stress, you increase caring success. Okay. Meaning that spreading that stress could be with another person. So it's not all of my mom caring for him at home, but I could help. But I also got my aunt in California. Okay. And a friend who's a nurse, a loving nurse, Beth, you know, an artist. She actually lives in Ottawa now. Uh, and but she lived up in Sudbury, northern Ontario, would check up on my dad. I we had, she had permission and they would spend like half an hour with my dad, you know, every once in a while. So we're spreading it out. We're spreading that care. So I had remote caregivers. In the end, it wasn't about Skype. Once that was figured out, it was about that interaction. So that's just my, you know, I wanted to say the technology in the end, you kind of forget about it if it's done really well. It's about what it's delivering. Yeah, absolutely. The outcome of it. And yeah, that's really, really great insights. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has been just such a great conversation. But my last question is, what future advancements would you like to see in the field of age tech innovations? Okay. So as we're moving forward, I still think we're still at its infancy, okay, around age and tech, you know, and combining together. A lot of it is maybe not brand new innovations per se, which I will give a comment on that in a second here. But it's more about what do we already have or what can we just kind of upgrade a little bit more or Upcycle, you know, for me, uh, for those that, you know, without getting so technical here, like a lot of people understand the recycling, reusing something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You reuse it, you put it in the recycling bin and it's uh, converted back into something else. Okay. Whereas upcycling is using what you have and taking it to another level, maybe using it for something that you didn't realize that it could be used. Mm-hmm. Back to my example of Skype back then, people always thought virtual tools like Skype were for meetings. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it was me. For me, it was, you know, you upcycle Skype. So it's used for care. Okay. So it's, it's no one really con- thought that concept of how do you use virtual communication tools for care. Now we get it. Okay? Mm-hmm. But even back then, I remember I got the invite to come to uh, Microsoft back then uh, in Washington state. And when I was there, that Skype team kind of says, Ron, you're, how are you doing this with care? You know, and it's not just calling someone on Skype, but I even had it remotely. So it was hands off. It was an auto answer feature where, so it made it simple. So my dad doesn't have to answer the call. Okay. So people who are living with dementia families will get this, that sometimes you would call someone, you know, the person with dementia and they don't answer the phone or the, you know, and stress starts happening, that buildup. So upcycling that, you know, tool to say, Hey, I could use this to automatically pop in on my dad. Okay. Safely and have a conversation and check on him. That is an example of upcycling something that was already there. Okay. So sometimes it's like we already have the tools out there. It's it's just MacGyvering things, okay? So, you know, there's two MacGyvers, old MacGyver back, I think, from the 80s and the new MacGyver. Personally, I am a fan of old MacGyver because he could take scotch tape and a pencil and save the world. Whereas new MacGyver right now needs a, a smartphone. Like, he has so many tools to his advantage, right? But but that thinking 
is, is what I'm suggesting to many. But then the other thing is what do I want to see moving forward? Uh, in the home, a lot more ambient solutions, meaning that you're not even aware it's there, but but we have to deal with, okay, another conversation another day, the, the safety, the ethical issues, the privacy, the security, okay, because you know we if we can be confident in that, that's great. Okay. Uh, but that ability to just kind of say in the home, they're there not to spy on you. Okay. If you can control it yourself, you know, and you know, it's secure and it's safe and it's just for you, let's say, then it's supposed to help you in your life when someone might have a fall. Okay. Or there's someone at risk of falling. Okay. Uh, as an example, uh, that's where I think we've got to continue doing the work. Um, mealtime. That's the one I would like to say is that I think we can do a lot more around mealtime. Okay. Everyone needs a meal. The meal, the, the, the kitchen and the bathroom is where I'd like more work done. If anyone's working in that space, give me a shout. I'd be interested in discussing what you're working on or what you want to work on. Um, what do you mean uh, mealtime? Do you mean like the, even like the utensils that are being used or? Uh, not necessarily. Like, uh, so there's so many families as you age that just preparing the meal. Okay. So that, so technology in the end, for me, the challenge is I always put, I love using the, the third letter, uh, the third number, just as I'm born March three, I'm uh, three is my number. Mm-hmm. The third letter happens to be the letter C caregiving. Uh, it starts with, uh, you know, it's the letter C, the third letter, but the, the ability to care to in the home as someone ages, the challenge, another C word is right there, <laughs> is that in the kitchen choices start being lost when you age. Okay. And I play this game when I'm presenting to classes, many times in university classes. Um, I've done it probably two dozen times. The engineering class was the odd one. I'm going to let you know there, Elena. The one when I went to the engineering class at your university, they weren't consistent with all the, the this game with all the other classes I've done. And it's a survey. And I would say it's a game of choices. Okay. And one of the, in the game, I'd say, they don't know where I'm going with this, but I asked three times, choose. And I give them a list of choices of the foods that I give them. I would say, first time I give them this choice, I'd say, choose porridge, toast, eggs, and a carrot. And then they make their choices. Then later on in, in the game, I say the same thing, choose. You know, peanut butter sandwich, sushi, pizza, hamburger. I would also say rice. Uh, and so I had this whole list of maybe 20 items to choose. Okay, mm-hmm. So they have them. And then later on, I ask again, choose. And it's food related. And then I only give them maybe five or six choices. And eventually I explain, that's actually sometimes the lifespan of your meals. Okay. When you're young, you have limited choices because you're given what you're given. Mm-hmm. But when you get into that, you know, age, okay, my guess is it could be from 15 to whatever age, okay, as old as you can be, you then, you know, can make as many choices as you want. But then many times as we get further on in life, because of challenges, that could be health challenges, that could be, you know, you're diabetic, some of you might lose some of your teeth. Okay. So the type of food you eat. Okay. You might end up maybe in a, you know, a healthcare place where this is only the choices on the menu today. Right. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is all about choice and mealtime is something I use as an example. And and in the kitchen, that becomes a challenge as people get older. And so many families I know are afraid to have someone cook simply as even make their meal because they might burn the place down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so it's not just the utensils, but it's how someone prepares food. And I'm dealing with families and saying, is there a microwave on? Is there like something we could use? So it, it's just one button, mm-hmm. okay, so that my mom will not burn it. Um, 
you know, that process to get that food from the freezer. Let's say it's frozen food. You have to take it out of the box. You have to unwrap the plastic. You have to put it in. You have to, instead of putting maybe, you know, maybe five minutes, someone accidentally puts in 50 minutes and we've had fires. Okay? There's enough. So, so that whole process, it's their failure points. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to design, I actually don't design based on just a solution. I actually challenge everyone saying, you know, or I will challenge them, you know, where are your failure points? If you don't understand where your failure points are, where it's going to fail, then you don't understand the problem and, and the challenge enough. Okay? Mm-hmm. How are you overcoming that? Okay? You know, if you're putting 10 buttons on that, that's great. All these functions. Okay? But then that one button is a failure point that is one button too many. Right. Mm-hmm. So simply taking something out of the box could be a failure point. Okay? Unwrapping the, you know, on the frozen meal, pulling the, the plastic off is a failure point. Okay. So that's what I look for is how could we simplify and reduce some of these failure points? I'm not asking for perfection. I'm just saying, how do we make this better? And the kitchen is one where there's so many failure points, mm-hmm. okay, meal time. And in the bathroom, there are so many failure points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll leave it at this where if someone just wants to think about this, that the, every single step, you know, count how many steps it takes to just go in and have a bath and dry yourself and then put your pants back on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It's not simply 10 steps. Okay. Count every move you do that you're doing and you will now say, okay, any one of those is a failure point for someone okay, who might have a challenge. Okay. So that's just something to think that, about. That is so interesting. I never even thought about the whole mealtime prep and, you know, not, not all of us just want to eat Soylent for the rest of our lives. Like, <laughs> like there's so much culture and enjoyment that's around preparing food and what food means to people and having that autonomy to create your own food. So that is so interesting about mm-hmm. all the different fail points that can be involved with uh, mealtime and bathroom time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely hope that we can get some more research around this, this area for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, hey, that could be another podcast on its own. Anything around food there, Alana, you got me in, in that, okay? Same, same food is everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there's so much learning. Uh, again, you brought up like culture, okay? So the culture piece, right? You know, uh, uh, and, and this is not just work on technology. This is, could be on work on just those, you know, I have a little bit of a culinary background, right? I also you know, uh, went to culinary school just for fun. Um, and it's uh, a cultural piece. My family's... Uh, Asian and uh, growing up in the Philippines, well, my parents grew up in the Philippines, but just, you know, diabetes is a big challenge. Okay. So, you know, there's one team that I'm, you know, uh, collaborating with, uh, advising with called My Palate, and they're doing some work related to culture uh, and food. Okay. Especially those that kind of are told, oh, you're diabetic. Now you can't have this food, you know, these ingredients. Okay. So how do we adapt the culture, the, their food that's from their culture? So it is adaptable versus saying, okay, you know what? You're diabetic. Now go have a salad, mm-hmm. which is not common for the Asian community, right? Mm-hmm. You know, go have your greens. Or, so there's that, that's technology as well, in my view. Um, but yeah, there's so many analogies we could, we could take from mealtime. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I you could reverse it or not reverse it, but you can just say, I gave you guys the challenge of how you have a bath, count how many steps it takes you just to go and have your dinner. Okay. Mm-hmm you know, or, or cereal, you know, every step from pouring the milk to getting the bowl to, you know, taking it out of a cereal box, if that's, you know, the case, you know, that uh, sitting down, keep going on and on, and you'll see, you know, where the failure points are for someone as you age. 
And that's where we work, where we could work uh, and find solutions. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much, Ron, for this great insight. I've learned so much in this podcast episode, and hopefully we can collaborate in the future. And uh, thank you so much. Well, thanks, Elena, and all the best, you know, with the podcast. And hi to everyone.